Thanks, heaps, fam. I, I really appreciated you serving this morning. It was really, I really enjoyed this morning, especially when the kids got up. That was really cool, eh? And I remember many years ago, a gentleman was uh, told, oh, the, the, the children are the church of tomorrow, to which he responded quite, quite sternly, no, the children are the church of today. And when you look at this, this generation of youngsters that was standing up here, everything that they will learn about God and discover in their own lives as they make their faith their own will actually be either benefited by our example or it, our example might prove to be a detriment to them depending on how we conduct ourselves. As I shared before, discipleship takes place even in your own home and even though you may not know it, it's taking place by the way you conduct yourselves in front of people who see you. Um, so please, please bear that in mind. But man, this is the final Sunday of 2018. And I was thinking as I was preparing for this Sunday, like, Lord, what's a, what's a word that would be appropriate for the situation, a word that would be appropriate for the circumstance? And, and I came up with this really, really corny title, this really corny title, which was like, looking back in order to move forward, which sounds really cool. It sounds like a real motivational type speech. So I didn't name it that. I didn't name it that at all. Um, mainly because the more I thought about that idea of looking back and looking at the biblical definition of what looking back actually is, um, looking back is not actually a good thing. When you look at what the scriptures teach, and I'm going to share with you a couple of examples of what looking back actually is, well, no, it's, it's not. It's not actually a good thing for us as Christians to do. And I'll explain that as we go through it. You see, um, looking back has attached to it the idea of a desire for something else, a longing for what has been instead of moving on to what is before. And I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and we're going to have a look at this a little bit more closely. So if you want to close your eyes, we'll open in a, open a prayer now. Father, we thank you so much for this year. We thank you so much for what you have done, for what you have taught us, what you have revealed to us about not only our relationship with you, but our relationship with each other. We thank you for the things that you are taking us through, even up to this point, and the things you'll go and take us through in the future. Father, we thank you that even though things may change and circumstances may differ and that people, people's relationships might either be made or broken, we thank you that you remain the same, that we can always trust you and your faithfulness for your faithfulness is great. And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you this morning and ask that you, by your Spirit, will minister to our hearts, uh, that we will not be distracted by the hardships or the struggles or the failures of the past year, but instead be encouraged that you meet us here now and desire to draw us not only closer to yourself, but to lead us further to become more like Jesus. So we commit ourselves to you now. Glorify yourself through your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, some of you might actually ask, what's wrong with looking back? And I, I think I have some slides. May I have the slides up? Oh, it'll be on the desktop there. It's the uh, year's end, 2018. Thank you very much for that, Sarah. So you might think, you know, it's, it's important to look back. What's wrong with looking back? There's that, that age-old saying, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. 
That's actually done by a guy named George Santayana around 1863. It was paraphrased by Winston Churchill uh, in the 1900s to say that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And that makes a lot of sense. And as you read in the scriptures, you read account after account after account of Israel's history. You read about the various events and the various obstacles of things that took place. And and you read over and over again records of Israel's recorded history and God's direct involvement in Israel. So you think, well, hang on. Why, what do you mean that looking back can communicate an attitude that doesn't please God? Now, you might see this as somewhat pedantic, now that I know what pedantic actually means. You might see this as somewhat pedantic, but there's a, 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 a clear difference between the likes of Psalm 136, when it says, you know, he who made the heavens and the earth for his mercy endures forever. He who did this because his mercy endures forever. He who delivered Israel because his mercy endures. So you've got Psalm 136. Nehemiah chapter 9 goes through all of Israel's history. You read Acts chapter 7 when Stephen is sharing the gospel and goes through all of Israel's history. When There's a clear difference between those accounts and the actual act of looking back. And this is the reason why looking back, I'm going to do this a lot today, looking back is actually a negative scripturally. The primary example, which I think you all know, because this is a very common story within the Bible where a person literally looked back and it cost them their lives. Who was that? Lot's wife. Lot's wife. And that is who we're going to be looking at first. Lot's wife. And this is actually found in Genesis 19. Now we're only going to touch a little bit on this, but in Genesis 19, we have this record of Lot and his family and where they have chosen to take up residence. They have chosen to live in the city of Sodom, a city that was rampant as evil. It was rampant with darkness. It was rampant and it was so bad that God himself was going to pass judgment on this city because the sin had just degraded everything so, so bad. I mean, you look at the situation where the angels that go to visit Lot in the city who are seen by men and these men are banging on the door and say things like, hey, let, let them come out so we can know them. So we can know them. What does Lot do? Look, I'll give you my virgin daughters. I'll give you my virgin daughters. And then you can have your way with them. And they said, no. Send us the men. That's, that's the, the, just it reveals the state of what the city was in. And yet, God in his grace in Genesis 18 is discussing with Abraham. And Abraham appeals to the goodness of God and says, Lord, if, if you could find 50 righteous people, will you spare the city? Will you spare the city for 50 righteous? And he goes, I'll spare it for 50. What about 40, Lord? What about 40? I'll do it for 40. 30, sounds like an auction. 30, I'll go 30, I'll do it for 30. 20, we'll go 20. We'll go. Gets down to 10. You find 10 righteous people, Abraham, in the city, and I will spare it. Couldn't find 10. Couldn't find 10. So judgment was definite. Judgment was coming. And God in his goodness sends these angels in to deliver his people from such evil, which on a side note is actually something really, really exciting for us as the people of God. 
whenever, whenever there is judgment about to fall upon humanity, God always provides a means by which his people can escape. Adam and Eve, when they were separated from God in sin, what did God do? God provided a covering. Noah, when every thought and imagination of mankind was evil continually, what did he do? He sent Noah to build an ark. Moses, Moses in, 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 in Egypt, and then you have the plagues that came, and then they avoid judgment over the 10th plague with the shedding of a lamb, the shedding of blood from an unblemished lamb. You read through the scriptures, you see time and time and time again, whereby God will always provide a means by which judgment can be avoided, but it is done on his terms. You want a great example? You and I in sin. You and I in sin, condemned to an eternity in hell, separated from God. What did God do? God, in his love for you and I, sent his son, born of a virgin, as we celebrated on Tuesday, and as Andrew shared with us, born of a virgin, clothed in human flesh to live a perfect life, and to die a a crucifixion, a brutal death, to take upon himself your sin and my sin. That's what he did. He always provides. I mean, that on the third day he rose again, as Pam shared this morning. So judgment was always coming, and God sought to deliver Lot and his family from the city. These angels go in, they explain it now in Genesis 19:15 to 7. This is the day judgment was going to come about. We read this. With the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Hurry, take your wife and your two daughters who are here or you will be swept away when the city is punished. When he hesitated, the men grasped his hand and the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them safely out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, flee for your lives. Don't look back and don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains or you will be swept away. You have a couple of statements in this passage which accurately reflect Lot's attitude to not only towards the coming judgment, but to his current situation. He is told, judgment is coming. You'll be swept away if you don't leave. You need to do something. You need to do something now. What's the first thing we read about Lot? He hesitates. He hesitates. He, imagine this. Imagine this. It's like sitting there. There's a car coming, Joe. You better move. Well... Really? Is it really? Is it going to happen? That hesitation, what, does it show a lack of faith in God? No, I think that hesitation, it's that split second where he's like, well, is it really worth it? My life's here. I've worked hard to establish myself. I've got a home. I've got a family. I've got a career. I'm settled. And he's weighing it up. Is it really worth it? Ooh. The second statement, what the angels had to do, they grabbed him. They physically had to grab him and pull him. They grabbed him, they grabbed his wife, and said, dude, we gotta go. And they went. that reveals to me the heart of not only Lot, but his family. They had, and now please don't get me wrong. We are told in Hebrews 11 that Moses would much rather bear the reproach of the world, bear the reproach of Pharaoh, rather than enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We are told that. You know why it's called the pleasures of sin? Because sin is enjoyable. Because sin gives us a certain amount of autonomy. 
because sin makes us feel good, or, or not so much even feel good, but sin, sin meets a, a temporary gratification to make you feel for a little while. And you know this, and I know this. You know you've got something you shouldn't be doing, and you go and do it, and you're like, oh, dang, I shouldn't have done that. Oh, and you feel like rubbish afterwards. I'm going to say a bad word then. I, you feel like rubbish afterwards realizing because that's what sin does. That's what the enemy does. The enemy sits there and says, yeah, man, you do this, you'll feel good. You do this, you'll feel good. It'll be okay. You say that, you say that cool word to that person. It'll make you feel good until you see the damage it does to that person. And you've done this and I've done this. But I've seen someone, I see Craig, and I'm like, ha, boom, mic drop, bam. And then, and then I see just the physical heartbreak that comes across Craig's face after I've said something because I was a, a pathetic, pitiful person trying to make myself feel better by making someone else feel like rubbish. And you see that. And once I see that, now I realize, oh, what, what, what's that old thing? The, the, the two things you can't take back, a released er- or arrow and an insult said in harshness. And that's what happens. This is what sin is. And this is how Lot, what, what Lot and his family had become comfortable with. They had surrounded themselves. They had immersed themselves in sin and were comfortable in doing that. So then what happens is this. In verses 26 and 27, we see that as they're being physically dragged away, the heart's desire of Lot's wife is made manifest. In verses 26 and 27, we read this. Thus he overthrew, God overthrew those cities and the entire plain, destroying all those living in the cities and also the vegetation in the land. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. You can justify this however you want. For her, her life, her priority, her desire was back in Sodom. That is what she wanted and that is what she longed for. But what was back there for her? What was back there for her was her autonomy. What was back there for her was her sinful lifestyle. What what was back there for her was something that made her feel, I don't know, accepted or welcome, whatever it might be. But it was back being immersed in sin is where she wanted to remain. And because she looked back, it indicated to to everybody else what she really valued. She valued what was back there as opposed to what she was being taken to. Now, how does this apply to you and I? How does this, what does this mean for us? Because we have a tendency to do the same. We have a tendency of living in the past. We have a tendency of, oh, the good old days. Oh, the good old days. Oh, the good old days. Well, we do this. We do this. And I know when I get old, I mean, I'm old now, but when I get older, when I get older, and so when the hair goes completely gray, and then I, I get too lazy to shave my head, Okay, when I, when I get too old, then I'm going to be sitting there. I'll, I'll be one of those old men that sits there and goes, oh, well, back in my day, we used to walk to school 15 miles, barefoot, in the snow, in the sleet. And in the you know what I mean? You're okay? But this is what, we have a tendency to look back. As Christians, we sometimes look back to when we're non-Christians. And we think, oh, remember the freedom I used to have as a non-Christian. 
where I could go and do what I want, when I want, how I wanted. No, I couldn't. I became a Christian at 19. And I look back when I used to, and I, I look back, did I have some, did I, did, did I do, did I do some stupid things as a non-Christian? Ooh, yes, yes. Did I make some terrible choices as a non-Christian? Ooh, yes. I made some terrible, terrible decisions and terrible mistakes as a non-Christian. I used, to, I used to drink too much. I used to do other things too much. And, and, and I look back now, and you mean to see, I have to look back there and think, oh yeah, those were the days, the good old, no! No, those were not good old days. Those were not good old days. When, or even as a married person, as a married person, as a Christian, we sometimes, I mean, we may sometimes look, oh, remember the days when we were single? When we cared for no one else but ourselves? That's ridiculous. I mean, I, I, I was a selfish, selfish single man. I'm still a selfish man. <sighs> but I'm still, but I know because all I lived for was me as a non-Christian. And what's terrible, even as a Christian, I still just lived for me, which is pitiful, which is ridiculous. Even as a married man, I still lived for me. And God, in His grace, through, the, through the, my beautiful wife, showed me how selfish I was. You want to know how selfish you are? You get married. You discover, you discover, you discover how selfish you are once you're married. Because you start butting your head. You're like, I want to do this. I want to do that. No. You find out what you're really like when you're married. You want to know how selfish you are as a married couple? Then have kids. That's what happens. That's what happens. This is, this is, so we start. And then, for example, I remember, I remember talking, as you sit there and you say, when, you, when I got married, I thought, what, what did I ever do with my time as a single man? Because I, I was always with my wife. And I, you know, then when we had kids, my wife and I were like, what, what did we ever do with our time before we had kids? You know? And now we're just like, when, when, when are the kids leaving? It's like, Okay, but that's what, okay, but this is what we do. We look back, don't we? We look back. The grass is always greener on the other side. That's, that is what we do, and that's actually ridiculous. Looking back on the good old days can be just as damaging as looking back on the bad old days. Why? Because what we do in our sinfulness is we romanticize as to what has taken place in the past. And when we always look back at that, we think, oh, remember when? Oh, remember? Oh, look at that. Oh, and we do that all the time. We do that all the time. For example, you want the 80s. I've got something for you. 80s fashion. 80s fashion. Some of the dumbest fashion throughout history. The only, the only, the only era worse than this in the 80s is the 70s. But that was the decade I was born, so I, I didn't know nothing about fashion. And obviously in the 80s, I knew nothing about fashion either. But we can look back at fashion in the 80s and think, oh yeah, the good old days. Fluoro colors, leg warmers, headbands, shoulder pads. And you weren't playing any sport. You girls wore shoulder pads. You look back, you know, which you, you had music, 80s music, which went from corny, the likes of Wake Me Up Before You Go-Go, to like Dancing on the Ceiling with Lionel Richie, to something a bit more complicated, which is one of my favorite groups, Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, <laughs> who did a song called White Lines about not doing heroin. It's actually, and they do another really great song called The Message. Those are two iconic rap songs. Um, Lewis would know it. <laughs> no, 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 not drugs. Lewis, sorry. <laughs> That's being stereotypical. That's terrible. No, what I mean is that he, yeah, he, 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 we like the music. Okay, all right. So 
and, and where everything could be solved with a Coke and a smile. That this, is, this is the 80s. This is the 80s. This is my rendition of the 80s. Forgetting about, forgetting about, when you look back on the good old days, you know what else happened in the 80s? HIV AIDS. We don't focus on that. We don't remember that sort of stuff taking place. Or what else happened during the 80s? Oh, apartheid. Apartheid. Did you know, did you know that um, Griselda's father, in the 1981, the South African Springboks toured uh, New Zealand. New Zealand was in turmoil because um, the South Africans were playing against the New Zealand All Blacks and were just against apartheid. So Griselda's dad, she, he was actually part of the protesters. He got arrested for going on the middle of Eden Park to interrupt a rugby test. He got arrested for doing that. I thought that was cool. Okay, you want something a bit more recent? The Cronulla Riots. The Cronulla Riots. Remember that? That was like 2005, 2006? You see, we, we, we look back, we look back, and we look back at all the other good stuff, but we forget. You, you want another classic example of what, what I'm, see, what I'm trying to communicate here is this. We have a tendency of when we're looking back, that as we look back, we're indicating that we are longing for something back there, thinking back there was better than what we have in the here and now. The question is this, is Jesus Christ your all in all here and now, just like he was back then? Because I guarantee you this, if he is not the here and now, the be all and end all here and now, it does not mean that he has changed. It means that you have. That's the difference. It means that you have taken your eyes off. It means that you have found something else that has divided your affection. That's the difference. And you see this in the people of Israel. If you've got your Bibles, yeah, I think I've got it here. Look at the people of Israel. Israel, Exodus 16, verses 1 to 3, Exodus 17, verse 3. What you have here is the amazing, miraculous deliverance of God of the people of Israel from Egypt. Ten plagues which came and swept the nation of Israel out of captivity, out of bondage, and they are given freedom. But the problem is this. As soon as they find something hard, as soon as they encounter a problem, as soon as they encounter an issue, what do they do? They look back. They look back. They sit there, like in verse 1 of chapter 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt! There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Oh, look, when we're, but when we're back in Egypt, oh man, the food. I could have food whenever I wanted. Oh, I had shelter. Oh, I could sleep in a bed. Yeah, you had a whip on your back. Yeah, you were carrying like massive three-ton blocks of cement or sandstone to build the pyramids. Yeah, you, you was digging trenches. Yeah, but you don't remember that, do you? You don't remember all the hardship you went through. You don't remember all the stuff that dragged you down. In verses 3 of chapter 17, the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? They were slaves for 400 years, and after 400 years, they are set free for not even a few years, and they're like, I want to go back. I want to go back. This is what happens when you look back. When you look back with the idea of longing for what's back there, 
That's what happens. This is why Lot's wife suffered the way she did. And this is why Jesus himself described the looking back in the following manner. Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus replied, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for, the serv- for service in the kingdom of God. No one who puts their hand to the plow and looking back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So you see, in terms of discipleship, in terms of relationships, in ter- terms of your walk with Jesus, you cannot devote yourself or profess to devote yourself to one thing and spend your time looking back behind you. You can't do that. That's dangerous. For example, okay, um, if you have your hand to the plow of rela- if you have your hand to the plow of relationship, for example, and you're looking back, one, you are not going to effectively cultivate that relationship because you're not focused on it. You're too busy looking back at what relationships used to be like, what what your walk used to be. You know, you're too busy looking at what used to have, have what used to take place back there that you're not cherishing and appreciating what you have right here. Does that make sense? That's what happens when you look back. Not only, and the second thing is that, look, look, I'm not saying that you can't learn from the past. Please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that you can't draw from the past and, and take lessons to apply to where you are now. But there's a difference between drawing from the past in order to change your attitude towards what's going on now and standing here going, oh, if only, if only. There's a big difference between the two. So one, you can't cultivate what's in front of you clearly and, and, and you can't do that effectively if you're looking back. It's like, for example, if I'm talking to you right here and now, if I'm preaching my sermon and I'm doing this, and I'm like, okay, what we're gonna do is we're gonna focus on what's taking place and we go, that's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. My attention, if I'm doing this, that shows I'm not concerned about you. I'm concerned about hearing my own voice right now. Hey, what's up? You know what I mean? How stupid is that? And yet that is what we do when we look at our circumstance right now. So not only is cultivation difficult, but you also won't be able to negotiate the obstacles and the pitfalls that are in front of you. So if I've got my hand to the plow, I've got my hand to the plow, I've got my, I've got my cows in front of me, and I'm looking back, I'm looking back, I don't know where I'm going, am I? I don't know what's going on. I don't know if there's a rock in front of me. I don't know if there's a ditch in front of me. I don't know if there's a tree there. Because I'm looking back all the time, I can't negotiate clearly what's in front of me. And because I can't negotiate clearly what's in front of me, you know what's going to happen? When I hit an obstacle, I'm going to be like, what happened? Why did that happen? And I question what's going on. And I hit another one, obstacle after obstacle, ditch, after ditch. Why? Because I'm too busy looking back and wondering, why am I hitting all this stuff? It's because you're not facing the way you're supposed to be facing. Because we are told in Scripture, where are our eyes to be focused? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking unto Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's where, so how can I be clearly looking at Him who's the author and perfecter of my faith if I'm spending all my time looking back? This is why looking back is so dangerous. 
If you're not facing forward, you wonder why you'll be hitting problem after problem after problem. You see, looking back does several things. And I know there's a whole heap more which we can look at, but I've just touched on several. One, looking back can divide your focus. Can divide your focus. We are told we are to be looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. But how can I be looking at Jesus if I'm looking behind me all the time? How can I press on if my attention is always directed to what's behind me? If I'm talking to you and my attention is revealed elsewhere, and you know you've done this, and I've seen this, where you've talked with people. Have you ever, and I, I, I get quite, not upset, but it's like, it's like, it hurts my heart. That's about the best way I can say it. It hurts my heart. Okay? <laughs> but when you're talking to somebody and like you're trying to share something that's like really important and really valuable to you, and you're talking, what's up, B Rad? And you're talking, right? And, and I'm, while I'm looking at B Rad eye to eye, and his eyes go like this and looks either over my shoulder or even worse if he did this. That, that hurts my heart. But see, that's what happens when you look back. It divides your focus. My attention, my, my attention reveals what my, where my focus truly lies. And if my focus is divided, I'll end up doing one of two things. Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Where did that one? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other. See, eventually, one of these things will take place. You cannot serve two masters. My Uncle Mike shared with this, this with us a few weeks ago. Because my focus is divided, that in turn will cause me to, as Jesus te- teaches, to prioritize one over the other. I will love one and hate the other. I'll be loyal to one and I will despise the other. This is because there's us going one way, if we're going one way, but our vision is another. Can you imagine how ridiculous it would be if we walked around all day looking over our shoulder? It just, it just doesn't make sense. But that's the first thing. It shows a divided focus. So I've got to ask you, and you've no, 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 I'm not going to ask you. You have to ask yourself, where are you in this? Where is your focus divided? Are you, are you that person that's looking back at the, oh, the good old days, the good old days? Are you one of those people? Are you one of those people that are fine because you're looking back on how things used to be, you're wondering why you're hitting wall after wall after wall after wall? You know, if, if, if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he was, he was enough for you back here, which means he's enough for you in the here and now, which means he will be enough for you in the future. That's the reality. Which means the thing that changes is me. My, my vision is impaired. My heart is hardening. That's, that's what changes. So that's the first thing. It causes our focus to be divided. And, and, and this, as, as we're going to be loyal to one and despise the other, and, okay, the divided focus also results in this. It creates an instability of mind. You see, our priorities, when we're going one way, trying to accomplish one thing, whilst looking back, it it creates a conflict of interest. I mean, in all honesty, how how can we be united in vision if we're doing this? How can we be united in purpose if we're doing this? How can we be united in direction if we're doing this? It doesn't work. 
But this one, it creates an instability of mind. And, and, and it resolves, it, it actually, it proves or reveals a weak resolve to do what's required because our focus is divided. And, and we read this in James chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, which I didn't write. Oh, there it is, sorry. Uh, when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. The person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Now, a long, long time ago, we, there's, a, a, there's a, like a, a public swimming pool in, in Auckland called Parakai. Parakai Swimming Pool. It's really nice. They had this one thing. They didn't do it anymore because of OH&S, but they had this massive tree trunk that went across the whole of the pool. It was a massive pool, like an Olympic-sized pool. It was really cool, really deep. And the tree trunk was about that wide. And what we used to do is we used to just run across it, just run across it. And they're just complete strangers. People would be down in the water just trying to yank you off. It's woo! And you're, and you're just like, ah, having fun. It, it, was, it was absolutely awesome. But here's the thing. Right? Like, we had to be focused. We had to be focused. As soon as you hesitated, you were gone. As soon as you hesitated. And it didn't matter. Like, you sit there. Oh, okay, I'm going there. And I remember there was a complete stranger just sitting on the log. So he had tried to, grow, tried to go over it sitting down. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this. I would have been about 13. And so I just ran. And I was running. And people were grabbing my legs. And I'm like, woohoo. And this guy who's sitting on the logs holding everybody up. So I just started pushing people off. <laughs> and then I got him and I just, Wah! and I made it. I made it. As soon as I would have hesitated, I would have been gone. I know that's a terrible example. I'm not saying that as, I'm, I'm not saying that as Christians, you're like, ah, Jolene, see you later. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is remaining focused. Remaining focused, don't be double-minded. Either you are for the Lord or you are against Him. Simple as that. You cannot serve two masters, but there is an instability of mind. And due to the unstable nature of a double-minded person, trying to go one way while looking back with a longing heart can either make or break a person. Or in other words, reveal what is truly valued by the individual for looking back, which means this. The third one, it can change my direction. This is where a crisis of faith takes place. If you are doing this, and this is, this is really this is a challenge for us, okay? Because we put our hand to the plow and we're going in one direction and we're looking back, one of two things will happen. It'll either one, cause you to have a repentant heart, boom, and align your vision with the direction you're going towards Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, or it will cause you to have a reprobate heart which means this, that your body and your stature and your posture then comes into line with where you're looking. That's what occurs. If you're looking back to what those things are, you are going to align one thing with the other. And, and sadly, 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 I have seen too many people, I've seen too many people in the 27 years I've been a Christian, I've seen too many people do this. and go their own way. They have longed for what's in the past, and what's terrible is this, you know what happens when they get there? It's not what they remember. It's not what's expected. And they've chosen to turn their back on their Savior for a romanticized view of what used to be. 
See, this is why looking back is so dangerous. This is why in Luke 17, 32, you know what Jesus says? He says, remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. I like how he uses the word remember. He doesn't say look back. He says, remember Lot's wife. Draw from her example the lessons that apply to you in the here and now. Now, just to reiterate, The issue with living a life looking back is, as you attempt to move forward with your eyes dwelling behind you, you cannot navigate clearly the path laid out before you as a follower of Jesus Christ. You will hit obstacle after obstacle, hurdle after hurdle, hardship after hardship with your eyes firmly fixed on what happened back then. This is why the charge, I think I've got it here. This is why the charge of Philippians chapter 3, verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize with which God has called me to. Okay, This is why the, the, the press toward the goal is preceded by this, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting that which is behind in order to press on. Now, I'm not saying that you don't, don't remember and draw those lessons from, but if, if you've got the task of this is where I wanna go, You want to be focused on that and not this. You cannot do that. For us to effectively experience the fullness for which God has called us to and we can navigate clearly what's before us. Because what happens if I've got my hand to the plow and I'm, I'm working in the field and I'm going and with my vision directly where, you know what happens? I see the ditch in front of me and I know what needs to be done. I see the rock and I know that needs to be done. I see the hurdle, and I know what needs to be done. Why? Because I'm facing the right way. I'm looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. I know that's the goal that I'm aiming for. So remember Lot's wife. If you you forget anything else I've talked about this morning, remember that one verse. Remember Lot's wife. Because this in the Scriptures, he he says, don't look back. It's not about looking back. When you look at all of those passages in Scripture, why looking back isn't the ideal title is that when you look at Numbers 21, 21 to 35, if you look at Psalm 78, if you look at Deuteronomy, all throughout Deuteronomy, it's not the word look back, it's the word remember. Remember. But the remember, the remember is not about, not about, oh, remember back in the day when I could do this. Remember the back in the day when I could do that. And that's not the thing. It's not, you're not reminiscing about the good old days in that sense. You're not doing like a little river band. You know, Friday night, it was late. I was walking home, got down to the gate and I was dreaming of the night. Nah, it's nothing like that. The remembrance, the remembrance is this. In each of those accounts, in Deuteronomy, in Numbers, in, 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 in Acts, and in all those things, it's about remember what God has done throughout the life of his people. It's about remembering who you are in connection to your Savior. Remember. Remember how God took you from sin. Remember how God gave you a new heart and a new spirit. Remember how God has written your name in the book of life. Remember how God had taken you from a life of of bondage and entrapment and slavery and given you liberty and freedom and power. Remember? Remember when you were down on your luck and God had given you just a a peace that transcends all understanding? Do you remember that? you remember when you had nothing and God said, here you go, Joe, I want to bless you with this? Remember? Remember. You turn to Deuteronomy chapter 29, I believe. Yeah, chapter 29. Uh, I'm not going to go for much longer. 
But when you read through Deuteronomy, I think I'll put it up here for you. Remember, this is what God says to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second reiteration of the law. They are about to enter the promised land. They've been walking around for 40 years. 40 years, they went round and round in circles, and God said, it's time. So in Deuteronomy, he sits there and he says, look, I want you to remember. Remember where God brought you from. Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember God's mighty deliverance. Remember God's guidance. Remember Israel. Remember your sinfulness. And yet, I still made a covenant with you. Remember my sovereignty. Time and time and time again, he says to the people of Israel, people of Israel, you remember. You remember. And in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 1 to 6, uh, it's mainly verse 6, which I really like, but I want to read this to you. These are the terms of the covenant the Lord commanded Moses to make with the Israelites in Moab in addition to the covenant he had made with them at Horeb. Moses summoned all the Israelites and said to them, your eyes have seen all that the Lord did in Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his, see they're remembering, to all his officials and to all his land. With your own eyes you saw those great trials, those signs and great wonders, but to this day the Lord has not given you a mind that understands or eyes that see or ears that hear. Yet the Lord says, during the 40 years that I led you through the wilderness, your clothes did not wear out, nor did the sandals of your feet, uh, on your feet. Verse six, you ate no bread and drank no wine or other fermented drink. I did this so that you might know that I am the Lord your God. Remember that I am the Lord your God. I did this so you know and you remember that I am your God. You know why we celebrate communion? To remember that He is our God. You know why we drink the wine? To remember the blood that cleansed me from the decrepit and the, the, the damning sin that permeates every aspect of my being. You know why I eat the bread? To remember the body that was broken for me on a cross because I deserve the death that he had on my behalf. You know why we do that? You know why we remember that? So we know that he is the God who loves us so much. So much that he went to great extent, the greatest of lengths to bring me to himself. Remember. So when you, when you think about the past year that's gone on in 2018, Remember, and then I want you, instead of looking at and saying, oh, well, this didn't happen, or that didn't happen, or this didn't, God didn't do this for me, and that didn't do for me, and that didn't work out the way. No, 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 no. You look back. You look back in what God has done and the times that he has been there from. Yeah, I read a Bible verse and God spoke to my heart. Remember that I'm the Lord your God. That you come to it and you sing a song of worship that acknowledges who God is before you. And then, oh, Lord, I just want to worship you because you're such a good God. Remember that He is the Lord your God. All of these things are, are done for us in order for us to remember who He is. To take us from where we are back then to bring us to where we are now. And what's even more exciting is that He wants to take us from where we are now into the future to where He wants us to be. So, yeah, man, this is the last service for 2018. But my encouragement to you, my, my, my challenge to you, my, my stirring for you is to remember, not reminisce, not look back, but to remember the Lord your God who loves you so much, he died for you. And what's exciting now, um, I want to close in prayer. I want to close in prayer. Um, oh, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, it's just, I, I had. 
what I really like in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, is the church at Ephesus. And we've heard this over and over and over again. But in Ephesus, the, the condemnation of Ephesus was a relational com- condemnation that they had forsaken their first love. They had left their first love. And the means by which Jesus seeks to reestablish a relation with them is that he gives them this advice. He gives them this word. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Remember, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works. Remember from wherever you've fallen. Now, I don't know what your situation is. I don't know how this year has been for you, how it worked out or whatever it might be. I don't know that. I know that God does. And I know that you before God will have to sort that out. But the reality is this. If you have drifted, if you have sat there and spent all your time looking back over your shoulder, remembering how things used to be, what the Lord says is, remember from where you've fallen. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember that. Repent. Repent. Repent means that if this is where the issue was and this is the problem that I caused, repent means I'm going to turn around and go the other way. Repent. Repent refers to a change of mind, a change of attitude, a change of heart. And redoing the first works, redoing just means as you trusted in the Lord by faith for your salvation, he says, you keep trusting. You come back to the basics. You come back to the basics of prayer, of in the word, of fellowship of witnessing, of, of reaching out. Just come back to the basics. But remember, you know why? Because He is the Lord, our God. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come up. We're not going to close in a song. I don't want to close in a song. I'm not, not that you guys did a great job, sorry, but yeah. So yeah, prayer team. But I'll, I'll, I'd, much rather, I'd much rather close in prayer. That was really bad. Sorry, sorry. You guys did a great job this morning, the worship team. Sorry, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. Um, but if I invite the prayer team to come up. Same team? Well, okay, then while you're standing here about to pray, you guys just sing, okay? It was like, uh, okay, all right. So um, what I'll do is that I'm going to close in prayer. I, I'd like you to be upstanding as well. Close in prayer. And even when I close and when I say amen, I would still ask you, if you, got, if you had things in this past year that you want to leave behind, that you're still looking back at, if you've got things in your past that you're still looking at and have been bound to and held to, come to the front and we'll pray for you. Come to the front and we'll pray for you. And it's something that we can release because whilst we look at remembrance today, next week, first Sunday of the year, we're going to look at moving forward. We're going to look at moving on. We're going to see what God, what God will do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the examples that have been laid out before us. Father, I pray that we as your people will remember Lot's wife, that we will not be people that are being captivated and trapped in the past, looking back and longing for what used to be. Father, that we might find our true satisfaction, our true fulfillment in you right now, in the here and now. Father, you are more than sufficient. Your grace is more than sufficient. And you have called us, Lord, to look unto you, the author and perfecter of our faith, that we will put our hand to the plow and not look back. Father, I pray that you will help us as your children to move on, to move on in the power of your spirit, to move on in the authority of your word, to move on in the person of Jesus Christ. So we commit ourselves to you now, and I pray that if there's any of us here that we need to release to you, uh, any, any hurts, any distractions, any hardships, any obstacles, any, any things that we don't understand, Lord, we want to release it to you and ask you to make yourself so evident to us, so real to us, 
that we not only know that you are our God, but we know that you are right there with us. So we commit ourselves to you now and we thank you for what you have done for us in the past year. And we remember that you are our God in 2018. And we take confidence in the fact that you are going to be our God in 2019 and every year to eternity. So we ask you now to dismiss us. We thank you for the food that has been provided. I thank you for Andos and the boys that are doing the, the sausage sizzle. And I pray that in this time of fellowship, we might enjoy each other's company and build each other up in the faith. And we ask this all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters.